Welcome, welcome, welcome to our final session in this semester of Roots, and uh, I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have, God's appointed times, and uh, it's been uh, quite an adventure seeing how everything points to Jesus, everything. Let's pray. Father, thank you for tonight, this uh, 12 weeks that you've given us, and thank you for your word and the Holy Spirit to understand your word. And I pray tonight, uh, one more time, that you would open our minds to understand the Scriptures. Because to know the Word is to know the Son. To know the Son is to know the Father. To know the Father is eternal life. This is our goal. In Jesus' name, amen. What is time? If these are the appointed times, what is time? Let me ask you a, a philosophical question. Before day one of creation, what was time? What is it? Before he created the sun and the moon and the stars, what is time? So you know that God is forever before day one. He is eternal. So what is time? So let's go to the other end. Let's go to the end um, after the last day. When the new heaven and the new earth begins. This is after the thousand year reign of Christ. And behold, uh, I, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven, the first earth had passed away. What is time? What is time? But we stand between those two places. And time matters a lot to us right now. Because there's a limited amount of it until the next event breaks. So we've covered the appointed times in the order, and I did that on purpose, that they appear on the Jewish calendar except the ninth of Av. That was the only one I did different. And I'm not going to go through them, but if you'll look at the sheet, that, the handout, those are the order in which they appear in the Jewish calendar. And all of this matters. It all matters. The Jewish calendar is a combination of the lunar and the solar calendar. So where does that come from? It comes from Genesis. Genesis 1 verse 14. What is time? Well, here we go. Here's the beginning of time, all right? You need to think of it like this. This is the beginning of when time mattered. It didn't matter before because you had all of it you ever wanted. Then God said, let great lights appear in the sky to separate the night, the, the day from the night. He is ordaining time. He's establishing the parameters of time. They appear in the sky to separate day from the night. Let them mark off seasons, time, days, time, and years, time. Let these lights in the sky shine down on the earth. Time will be important on the earth. And that is what happened. God made two great lights, the sun and the moon. There's the two sources of the calendar. The larger one to govern the day, the smaller one to govern the night, and he also made the stars. And God set these lights in the sky to light the earth, to govern, to govern. There's day, night, there's time. And to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. Time was good. And evening passed and morning came, the f that make, marking the fourth day. The fourth day that operated inside of time. 
what about the fifth day before the fourth day? There wasn't a fifth day before the fourth day because there was no time. Right? Now that's confusing. I won't do that again. I'm going to give you a headache. Each of the normal 12 months starts on a new moon. That's how their calendar works. It's called Rosh Kadesh. Periodically, an extra month, 8RB, is added to form the lunar calendar to the cycles of the sun. The first biblical month of Nisan, or Aviv, in the spring. In Exodus 12, verse 18, it says, The bread you eat must be made without yeast from the evening of the 14th day of the first month. Not only is he revealing Jesus, he's connecting Jesus to time. An appointed time. An appointed Savior and an appointed time. The 14th day of the first month until the evening of the 21st day of that month. He's connecting what? Go down to Leviticus, the next one. The Lord's Passover begins at sundown on the 14th day of the first month. He's taking Passover, which you and I now know is Jesus, the shadow of Jesus, and he's connecting him to time. Time, an appointed time of God. On the next day, the 15th day of the month, you must begin celebrating the festival of unleavened bread. This festival is to the, to the Lord continues for seven days. During that time, the bread you eat must be made without yeast. He's drawing these pictures and putting them into time. And later you'll see it. Later, the Messiah will come and it will be time to see why he put it in that time. But they couldn't see it. They just saw a festival, right? They just saw a feast. So here's the question. Why so much detail? And this is the bigger question, at least for me tonight. Why so much mystery? And to answer that question, I'm going to do something. Why parables? Why the shadows and why the parables? I've told you a hundred times during these this sessions that all of these are shadows of the reality which is Christ. Why the shadows? Why don't just go and say it? In the parables, why parables are a mystery in themselves. Why not just say it? Why not just say it? Why? It's a great question. All the appointed times of God and all the parables of Jesus. Now, I want you to notice, but they're the same. The appointed times and the parables, they all reveal a mystery to those, and this is going to be important tonight, to those who have ears to hear. But if you don't have ears to hear, you're not going to get it. And you're not going to see it. And you're not going to understand it. So Jesus closed many of his parables with this statement, ears to hear. Now, I did a session on parables here, what, about a year ago. So I'm going to read Matthew 13, 43. <clears throat> this is the parable of the wheat and the weeds. And I just want you to see how he ends it. And then the righteous will shine like the sun in their father's kingdom. 
and anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Now, why did he do that? The righteous will shine because they'll have ears to hear, but there'll be a group of people and they'll be the weeds inside that story that I didn't have time to read to you, and they won't have ears to hear. Now, parables, many of the parables, not all of them, many of the parables, he used that language. They'll have ears to hear. So, so there's Jesus' direct teaching. Now, in Revelation, he comes to these seven churches. He comes to John, says, he dictates to John seven letters to seven churches. And you know what? In all seven churches, he uses the same sentence. Here we go. Revelation, this is just one of them. Revelation 2.11, anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he's saying to the churches. Whoever is victorious will not be harmed by the second death. To hear and understand what? The appointed times. It is appointed unto man once to die and after that the judgment. It, once you hear and understand that, everything changes in your life. Because you know that you're moving toward an appointment with God. It's an unstoppable appointed time. And here's the truth that makes ministers leave the ministry. Some will and some won't. And I don't know who they are. Some will. I can preach a message and it'll cut to the heart of, of this person and the person sitting beside them will hear the exact same message and wonder how long it'll take to get to the fried chicken house after church. They don't have a, they don't have a clue. This went right over the head. On this final session tonight from this semester, I would like to use one of Jesus's parables alongside of Daniel's 70 week prophecy to do something which I hope I'm able to pull it off to tie together the entire appointed time series. The entire thing. To pull them all together. Using a parable from the New Testament of Jesus and Daniel's 70 week prophecy from the Old Testament. For those who have ears to hear, I hope you're listening. Mark 12, 1. Jesus began teaching them with stories, and some translations would say parables. A man planted a vineyard. Listen carefully. A man planted a vineyard. He built a wall around it, dug a pit for pressing out the grape juice, built a lookout tower, and then he leased the vineyard to tenant farmers and moved to another country. Now, right now, I want you to put in your mind this story, Israel and the appointed times. A man planted a vineyard. God planted a vineyard in the Holy Land. God tenant farmers. He's given them the land. He's going to give Israel a piece of land. They're the tenant farmers on the land that he gave to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God planted a vineyard. You with me? And they're going to have appointed times. This whole thing's going to connect. At that time, the great, at the time of grape harvest, he sent one of his servants, these would be the prophets in the Old Testament, to collect his share of the crop. What were the feasts? What were almost all the feasts associated with? Bring an offering to the Lord. Acknowledge that you're living on his land, right? 
Bring him an offering of your first fruits. You're all, right? You see this parable? But the farmers, the Israel living on God's promised land, grabbed the servant, beat him up, sent him back empty-handed. He's going back to God and said, they won't give you anything. The owner then sent another servant. Here comes another group of prophets. But they insulted him, beat him over the head. It makes you not want to be a prophet. <laughs> the next servant he sent was killed. It's getting worse. Others he sent were even beaten or either beaten or killed until they only had one limb. His son. Jesus is telling this story. I wonder if he gets choked up when he tells the story. He's this guy. Until there's only one left, his son, whom he loved dearly. And the owner, God the Father, finally sent him, Jesus, the son, thinking, surely they'll respect my son. These tenants living on my land. But the tenant farmer said to one another, here comes the heir to the estate. Let's kill him. And get the estate for ourselves. So they grabbed him, murdered him, threw his body outside the vineyard. Where was Jesus, Jesus crucified? Outside the city. What do you suppose the owner of the vineyard will do? Jesus asked. I'm going to tell you, that is a deep question. Do you think they got it? You think they, they don't know what this means? We can. We're looking back. You think they knew what this means? They don't know what this means. I'll tell you, he, the owner of the vineyard, will come and kill those farmers, and he will lease the vineyard. Can I insert this? To the Gentile church. He will lease it to others. The church age will begin. Israel rejects the son. I will open salvation to the rest of the world. First season, the appointed times. Did you ever read this in the scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. Listen carefully, church. This is the Lord's doing, and it is wonderful to see. Jesus thinks it's wonderful? He thinks it's wonderful. The religious leaders wanted to arrest Jesus because they realized he was telling the story against them. All they knew, they couldn't understand most of it, but they knew they were the tenant farmers and it wasn't looking good. <laughs> they were the wicked farmers, but they were afraid of the crowd, so they left him and went away. So there's a story. Can you see this inserted inside the appointed times, what we've been spending 11 weeks on? This, this, this story. Do you have ears to hear? So now let's go to Daniel. That's New Testament. That's Jesus. Let's go to Old Testament Daniel. After this period of 62 sets of seven, can I say appointed times? After this period of 62 sets of seven, the anointed one will be killed. That's, that's Jesus dying on the cross. Daniel makes this prophecy more than 500 years before the birth of Christ. He says, the anointed one will be killed, appearing to have accomplished nothing. What does that mean? You know, 
surely the king of the Jews didn't come to die on a tree. It appears he accomplished nothing. It looks like, you know, we failed. I mean, why did the apostles run for their lives? It looks like we just lost. Appearing to have accomplished nothing. And a ruler will arise. This will be in 70 AD. What, 40 years after Jesus. Titus, the Roman ruler. A ruler will arise whose armies will destroy the city and the temple. The ninth of Av. Are you, get, are you seeing this? Even Daniel is announcing events that were fulfilled what now are Jewish feast, the ninth of Av. I told you last week that the ninth of Av, the first and the second Jewish temple were both destroyed on the ninth of Av. Now, it appears like the Messiah accomplished nothing. Titus, uh, the, the Roman emperor, comes, destroys Jerusalem um, in 70 AD, and he's a shadow. L listen carefully. He's just a shadow. He's not the main event. That main event's in our future. He's, he's a shadow. The ruler, now here comes the future. Ready? The ruler, not, not Titus in 70 AD, he was a shadow. He's just, he's just warming it up. The ruler, who will be the future Antichrist, will make a treaty with the people. We believe that'll be Israel for a period of one set of seven, seven years. But after half that time, three and a half years, he, the Antichrist, will put an end to sacrifices and offerings and as a climax to all his terrible deeds, that'll be the tribulation. In the three and a half year point, by the way, Jesus quotes this in the New Testament. He will set up a sacrilegious object that causes desecration until the fate decreed for this defiler is finally poured out on him at the appointed time. It's all, God saw all this in advance. Daniel's prophesying this 500 years before Christ. He's everywhere. When you start reading the Bible in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, when you start reading the Bible and in every page you see Jesus, you will finally understand what this is. He's everywhere. It's all him. The whole story's about him. Everything's about him. If you have ears to hear. So, with that background, those, the parable and Daniel's prophecy. Let's look at these. Let's go back and go through them. Let's start with the Sabbath. If he's everywhere, then he's in every one of these. If he's in Daniel's prophecy and he is the... He, he is... Um, he is the one that the, the landowners, the, the tenant farmers killed and allowed this other group of Gentiles to take over control of the earth, which is our season for 2,000 years for the appointed time. If he's in that, he's in all of it. He's in all of it. So is he the Sabbath? Hebrews 4.8. For if Joshua had given them rest... So if the goal was to get the Jews into the promised land across the Jordan River, if that's rest, okay, 
If Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. So that's not it. That's not as big as that was. That's not it. Well, what was that? That was a shadow. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. And I want to tell you, it's in our future. There's a Sabbath rest, a seventh day, an appointed time. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work, just as God did from his work. There's the six days, and on the seventh day he rested. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest. What rest? The one that's in front of us even now. Even now. We still haven't gotten there. So that none, so, so that no one will fall by following their example of disobedience. Now, what, what does that mean? He, he started this discussion with Joshua finding rest in the promised land. Of the men who left Egypt, how many of them found that rest in the promised land? Two. Only two. That's some of the worst math in the Bible. 601,700, I used to know that number and I can't remember. 601,000 of them didn't make it. Two did. Let, let me say it again. Verse 11. Let us therefore, church, this is New Testament, this is church. Let us, church, Gentiles, make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall by following their example of disobedience. Why didn't they make it in the promised land? Why? Moses was a bad leader? No. Why didn't they make it? They refused to believe God's word. For the work, now, now listen, you think I just made that up? What's the next sentence? Why didn't they make it? Why didn't they make it? And why did Joshua and Caleb, they did make it. Why? For the word of God is living and active. Sharper than any double-edged sword, it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight, and everything is uncovered and laid bare before his eyes on whom, on him to whom we must give an account on the last day. I put that part in there. So, what if, and I did this a bunch during the series, what if 2,000 and 2,000 and 2,000 equals the six days and 1,000 is the Sabbath rest, the millennial reign of Christ on the earth? And if that's true, then we would know that somehow or another, we don't know the day, we don't know the hour, but we'd be getting real close to that beginning of the Sabbath. In Revelation 20, verse 5, this is the first resurrection. The rest of the dead did not come back to life until the thousand years had ended. This thousand years that I'm talking about here is the millennial reign of Christ. I, I think I said like this in uh, two sessions ago, he will have his garden of Eden. He's going to have his garden of Eden. The rest of the dead did not come back to life until after the thousand years had ended. 
there will be a resurrection before the thousand-year reign of Christ, and there will be another resurrection at the end of the thousand-year reign of Christ. The rest of the dead did not come back to life. They did not get the resurrection until the thousand years were over. They had to stay away until that point. Blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. Why? Do you have ears to hear why? You're going to experience the Sabbath with Jesus on this earth. A thousand years on this earth experiencing the Sabbath rest that all creation has groaned for since the first day. Blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. For them, the second death holds no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with Jesus for a thousand years. Jesus is our Sabbath, right? Right? Do you have ears to hear? I don't have any problem with that at all. I say, come Lord, I'm ready for rest. So let's go to number two. Is he the Passover? Jesus is the only way to escape the death, which is the second death that I just read to you about, that is coming to our house. That's the whole origin of Passover. In John 1, 29, the next day, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him and said the craziest thing in the world. He calls Jesus a sheep. Was that an insult? Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin in the world. Why would a man look at a man and call him a sheep? Because John knew about Passover. He knew about an appointed time. In 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul writes to the church and says, Get rid of the old yeast by removing this wicked person from among you. That person might look down and say, Did somebody spill yeast on me? Well, I don't see any yeast on me. They understood about the appointed times. They knew about the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Remove this yeast by removing this wicked person from the church. And then you'll be like a fresh batch of dough without yeast which is what you really are. Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed for us. So let us celebrate the festival, not with old bread. What's old bread? It's sinful life. Bread of wickedness and evil, but put it with new bread of sincerity and truth. How do you get from the old bread to the new bread? It's called repentance. And I wonder if it's one of the most marvelous words in the Bible because it's God's way of getting from yeast to non-yeast. You can do that. Yeah, if you know, if you have ears to hear. He wants you to do that. Hebrews 9.22 In fact, according to the law of Moses, nearly everything was purified with blood. For without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Without blood, you're not going to make it. And here's the interesting thing when you study the scripture. Cain and Abel, the whole story of Cain and Abel was about blood before the law was ever given. So even they knew, even they knew in the beginning that blood would have to be the atoning price of man. It would have to be blood. So let's go to number three, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Leaven represents sin. Yeast represents sin. And it must be removed. Listen. <laughs> Sometimes I want to scream it out loud. 
You've got to deal with the sin issue. The very thing the church doesn't want to talk about is the very thing that makes peace with God. You've got to deal with this leaven. You've got to deal with this yeast. You've got to get this sin. Repentance is the message of salvation. So I'm going to read again, just the first, I'm going to read the first part. I, I read it earlier. It's the same scripture. Your boasting about this is terrible. <coughs> now, I don't have time to read the whole thing, but your boasting about what was terrible. The only way I can read that sentence and know in the context of 1 Corinthians chapter 5 is this. There was a man in a sexual relationship with his mother-in-law. And you're boasting about this. You know what that word, you know what word comes to my mind? Tolerance. But we love you. And the apostle Paul says, get him out of here. Get him out. Get him out. You have gotten yeast inside the dough. And you're, and you boasting about this is terrible. Don't you realize that this sin is like a little yeast that spreads through the whole batch of dough. Get rid of the old yeast. Get, get this person out. Now, if you read the rest of that context, you're not getting him out to destroy him. You're getting him out so that you're turning him over to Satan. So hopefully he'll come under some kind of conviction and, and repent and repent and come back into the church. Not coming into the church to make other people sick, but to come into the church so that he might become well without yeast. Jesus had no sin. His presence is the atonement, the payment of sin, the removal of sin. Christ in me. This is the only way to remove the sin from my life and find peace with God. That's why when, when people, and I, and I talk to people all the time, and here, here's what I hear a lot. This is it. When I get things straightened out in my life, I'll start coming to church. Don't tell me that. I've already got 20 lines I use that I've got ready to go. You're never going to come to church because you're never going to straighten out your life. If you could straighten out your life, you wouldn't need Jesus. The fact is, you can't do it. And you know, you got one chance, and it's hard. You know what? And it's hard. I'm never going to make this easy because you got to die to yourself for this to happen. He's got to come inside of you because we're filled with yeast. And the only way I can get unyeasted is I've got to get him inside of me. I've got to put on the righteousness of Christ to cover my unrighteousness. And that's, that's it. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's it. I can't make peace with God while I am sinful. And I can't do it. I, if we could do it, Jesus would have stayed in heaven. He became a man because the, he knew we couldn't do it. The fear of God, listen carefully, is the beginning of wisdom for those who fear, who have ears to hear. Well, I'm going to make something, and I've said it publicly a lot. I fear God. I remember saying that one time. Somebody called me. This is just two or three years ago. Some gentleman called me off after I preached that sermon. I said, I fear God. He's about to fear God. And he, he, he tried to rebuke me. He didn't do a very good job at it. But he tried to rebuke me that a believer should no longer live in fear of God. And I said, you're wrong. And the only thing I can tell you is you're arrogant. 
You're arrogant. You're, you're just arrogant. You, you frighten me. Because I do fear God. And that fear doesn't make me run away from him. That's a different kind of fear. It makes me run in toward him to find a place under the shelter of his wings. Because he's got his wings up. He's, he's, he's got his wings raised and says, come up under here. Now, the fear of him, the fear of his wrath and judgment makes me get up under those wings. I, I fear his absence. I don't fear his presence. I fear his absence. Because I know his absence is a real deal. It's a real thing. Now, why? Why? Because I can read. And I have ears to hear. Luke 12. Meanwhile, the crowds grew until thousands were milling about and stepping on each other. And Jesus turns to his disciples and he warns them. Notice the word warn. It's a warning. Beware of the yeast of the Pharisees. This hypocrisy. The time is coming when everything that is covered up will be revealed. And all that is secret will be made known. Everything you think nobody knows, he knows. I often say that when, when you confess your sin to God, you're telling him what he already knew. You, you, you never surprised him in that moment. Verse 3, whatever you have said in the dark will be heard in the light, and what you have whispered behind closed doors will be shouted from the housetops for all to hear. Everything's going to be made known. Every secret in my life, every secret in your life, everything you ever did in your life is going to be all laid out. Everything. And so how should I respond to that? Look at the next verse. Look at the next verse. Dear friends, don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They cannot do any more to you after they kill your body. But I'll tell you who to fear. Fear God. Who has the power to kill you and then throw you into hell. Yes, he's the one to fear. I fear God. Number four, first fruits to Pentecost. Jesus rose from the dead on first fruits. He is a shadow of our resurrection. He is the first fruit of those fruits to follow. Of the fruits that will rise after him. He's the pattern. He's the original first fruit. The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, came on Pentecost to empower the church age mission to reach out to the Gentile world with the gospel message for those who have ears to hear. Pentecost is the last of the spring feast of Israel, leaving a summertime gap before the feast of trumpets, the first of the fall feasts. Now, between those feasts, is when the harvest is white. The, the fields are white unto harvest. There's so much harvesting that's going on. And I'm convinced this is a direct description of the church age. Between, when did the church begin? Pentecost. When will it end? It'll end literally upon a trumpet blast. I'm not saying, I did not say that it has to be on the Feast of Trumpets. I did not say that. But it does say there will be a trumpet at the, at the rapture of the church. So between the Pentecost and the trumpet is the fields are white unto harvest and there will be a great soul harvest in there. There is. You and I are witnesses of that soul harvest. So it's the last spring harvest leaving a summertime gap. Is the gap 
the time of the Gentiles, ending when the Gentiles come to Christ. The last Gentile comes to Christ. Well, there's a lot of evidence for that. And it's found in Romans eleven twenty-five. He says, I want you to understand a mystery. In other words, Paul's trying to take the lid off of this thing. What's the mystery? Dear brothers and sisters, so that you will not feel proud about yourselves. He's writing to Romans, a Gentile church. Some of the people of Israel have hard hearts, but this will last only until the full number of Gentiles comes to Christ. And so all Israel will be saved. As the scriptures say, the one who rescues will come from Jerusalem. He will turn Israel away from ungodliness. And this is my covenant with them, that I will take away their sins. Do you see what's happening? When the full number of Gentiles comes in, I'm convinced that that is the end of the church age. The fields were white into, har- white into harvest, and the harvest closed. The door closed. In Jesus' parables, it's the parable of the ten virgins. Five of them were ready, and the door opened, and they went through, and the door closed, and nobody else is going through the door. You, you, you missed your opportunity, okay? He says, and this is my cup. What happens at that point? And then he immediately turns his attention to Israel, the Jewish people. And so all Israel will be saved. Now, I, I don't believe all means all. I believe all means the remnant that God has marked by grace will be saved. And this is my covenant with them. Israel, Israel. This is Israel that I will take away their sins. How do I know it's Israel? Many of the people of Israel, he's talking about Israel, are now enemies of the good news. They reject the New Testament, right? Am I wrong? Most of Israel has rejected the New Testament. They are enemies of the good news, and this benefits you Gentiles. Yet they are still the people he loves because he chose their ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. For God's gifts and his call can never be withdrawn. Once you Gentiles were the rebels against God, but when the people of Israel rebelled against him, God was merciful to you instead, and the day of Pentecost happened, and the fields became white into harvest. But when the full number of Gentiles comes in, the door closes. Now, listen, I think we're very close to the time in which that Gentile door will close. I don't know the day. I don't know the hour. Let's go to number five, the ninth of Av. The first and second temples were both destroyed on the same day. What a coincidence. God's judgment is real and his wrath is to be feared. Judgment day always comes. The ninth of Av is a day of mourning and fasting. What? That eventually God's patience wears out and he brings judgment. The day that you reap what you sow. A day of mourning and fasting for those who have ears to hear. But here's the part of both of those. And I hope you got this last week during that session. In every one of those ninth of all events. In every one of them. Let me, let me pull out the one, my favorite one. My favorite one is the uh, Spanish uh, Queen Isabella expelling the Jews from Spain on the ninth of all. You know what the 10th of Av was? If y'all were not paying attention in the last week, you know what the 10th of Av was? Columbus sails for America. What does that tell you? The largest, the, the nation that blessed the Jewish people more than any nation on earth outside of Israel 
was the nation discovered by Columbus when he left on the 10th of all. The door closed on the 9th of all. All Jews must be out or convert or die. Do you know that? Either convert, get out, or die. Tenth of all, Columbus sails the ocean blue. He discovers America. America becomes the place that God allows all the Jewish people to settle in until 1948, in which they start moving back to Israel. What's my point? My point is this. As horrible as the ninth of all is, do you see his mercy? He then opened up a door for the Jewish people. And he's, he's going to do it at the end of what I just read to you. When the full number of Gentiles comes in, he opens the door again. Now, it's the tribulation. It's a terrible time on the earth. But the door's open. How's that? God has a way of turning mourning into dancing in the end. Jeremiah 31. Listen to this message from the Lord, you nations of the world. Proclaim it in distant coastlands. The Lord who scattered his people. Okay. Why did they, why were so many Jews in Spain in 1492? Why? Because he scattered them. He scattered them all over the earth. Right? 70 AD. If you don't die, you run. Right? The Lord who scattered them will gather and watch over them as a shepherd does his flock. For the Lord has redeemed Israel from those too strong for them. By the way, when I read that today, I thought of the Israel war. They are surrounded by Arabs that hate them. They're surrounded on every single side. By people who hate them. And yet, you know what I read? For the Lord has redeemed Israel from those too strong for them. If it was just about numbers, they wouldn't be there. They will come home and sing songs of joy on the heights of Jerusalem. They will be radiant because of the, Lord, because of the Lord's good gifts. The abundant crops of grain, new wine, olive oil, and uh, the healthy flocks and herds. Their life will be like a watered garden and all their sorrows will be gone. Do you know what Jeremiah's context of Jeremiah is? Jeremiah's the guy there when they burned the temple down. And what's all this good news about? It's the heart of God. He's talking about in the future. Though he destroys you, scatters you, he will also redeem you. Verse 13, the young women will dance for joy. Men, old and young, will join in the celebration. I will turn their mourning into joy, and I will comfort them and exchange their sorrow for rejoicing. Their, the priests will enjoy abundance. My people will feast on my good gifts. I, the Lord, have spoken. Do not question him. 2 Timothy 2.19, jump to the New Testament. But God's truth stands firm like a foundation stone with this inscription. The Lord knows those who are his. Somebody say hallelujah. He knows who belong to him. And all who belong to the Lord must turn away from evil. Number six, Feast of Trumpets. The rapture of the church is described as a trumpet blast. I am not, let me say it again. I'm not saying that the rapture has to happen on Feast of Trumpets. I'm not. In fact, uh, let me say this, and I've shared this before. 
Jesus in Jerusalem the last week says, you will not see me again. He's in Jerusalem talking to Israel. In, in Jerusalem, you will not see me again until you say, Baruch HaBashem Adonai. Which means the next time you see me, I'll, you'll be in Jerusalem and you will know who I am. So if the Feast of Trumpets is Jesus coming back, it wouldn't be the rapture. Because in the rapture, he won't be in Jerusalem. Now, I'm not saying that categorically. I'm just saying, think about that. Because on the rapture, you meet him in the clouds. You don't meet him in Jerusalem. In fact, when he comes to Jerusalem, if you met him in the clouds, you'll be coming to Jerusalem behind him. A different event. Right? Something to think about. But Jesus will surely fulfill the trumpet feast. All of them. How he does it, I don't know. Whether at the rapture or whether the, at the second coming when he comes uh, to begin his millennial kingdom. First Thessalonians 4.13. And now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died. Let's jump down to verse 16. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God. The feast of trumpets has trumpets. This has trumpets. The trumpet call of God. First, the Christians who have died will rise from their graves. Then together with them, we are still alive and remain on earth. We'll be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. We're not going to be caught up to Jerusalem in the scene. We're caught up in the clouds. We're going to be with him where he is. Where he is in this scene is not Jerusalem. It's not the earth. Where is he? He's come to take his bride to the wedding supper of the Lamb. Seven years later. And by the way, at that point, he turns his attention. The last Gentile has come in. The church age is closed. He goes after the Jewish people. He raises up 144,000 Jewish evangelists. They start preaching to the world. The, the Antichrist is revealed. Hell breaks out on the earth. And many Jews will come to Christ. Where's the church? Preparing for the wedding supper of the Lamb. At the end of seven years, we come back with him in resurrected flesh. To reign on the earth for a thousand years, experiencing what? The Sabbath. The thousand years. Let's go to number seven. We'll run out of time. The Day of Atonement. The highest holy day in the Jewish calendar. I could spend the rest of the night on this one alone. God established this annual Day of Atonement as a time when the high priest would purify himself and enter the most holy presence of God to seek forgiveness for the sins of the people of Israel. Let, let me make something really clear. I am not a priest. I'm a preacher of the gospel. There is one high priest. He is Jesus. In God's created order, we have a high priest. He stands between God and man. Jesus... Everybody else who wants to play that role is not going to be listened to. God's not going to hear them. They can talk, but he's, God's not going to. He's already got a high priest. It's his son. The concept of the high priest was he would go before God and, and pay the price, atone for the sin of the people. Do you see Jesus is this person? He went to the cross and atoned for the sins of the people. Now he stands in authority between man and God. In the t here's, here's, here's the best part. 
In the time of Moses, the high priest would enter the most holy place of God's presence behind the veil of the tabernacle, offer a blood sacrifice to atone for the sins of the people. The 10 days between the Feast of Trumpets and the Day of Atonement, even today, even today, if you study the Jewish people, it's called the days of all. Now, what, what's the 10 days between the trumpet blast and the atonement day? It's called the days of all, like all, like, <gasps> that kind of all. Why? It is the time of spiritual preparation when the people return to God through repentance. Now, now listen carefully. Do you have ears to hear? Repentance is the physical and spiritual act of returning to God. It's, it's, you got 10 days. Listen, why this is a big deal, why it's such a big deal in Israel is, is they have in their mind, there's a 10 day window of time in which they can repent and turn to God. Why? Because on the day of atonement, it's sealed. It's sealed. It's in the, in the idea of the 10 virgins, the door closes. It's sealed. You, you, had a, you, had a, you had a moment, you had 10 days to repent, but you didn't repent and turn to God. So you're, you're away from God when the atonement opportunity began. You missed it because you weren't even facing it. You weren't dealing with it. So in Isaiah 30, here, here's where that comes from. This is what the sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says. Only in returning to me, and resting in me will you be saved. In quietness and confidence is your strength, but you will have none of it. Now, this is a rebuke. This is a rebuke of Israel. You, you will have none of it. You, you, you don't want the quietness, the peace. You don't want the confidence of your salvation. You don't want them. Why? Because only in returning to me, only in repentance can you find me in the days of all before it's sealed on the day of atonement. Those 10 days are referred to as the days of all. 10 days to repent and make peace with God before the day of atonement comes. These are the days of all because they would determine your position with God in relationship to the day of atonement. Those who have confessed and repented of their sins will find peace with God on the day of atonement. But those who refuse to return, those who refuse to repent, will find his divine judgment instead of his divine forgiveness and peace through Jesus Christ our Lord. Repentance and faith in Jesus is the way to prepare for this holy day. It's the only way. Luke 13. I just had to share this with somebody just recently who was struggling with this whole concept. About this time, Jesus was informed that Pilate had murdered some people from Galilee as they were offering sacrifices at the temple. And Jesus asked the question, do you think those Galileans were worse sinners than all the other people from Galilee? In other words, Pilate murdered them. So do you think they got murdered because they were, they deserved it? They were worse sinners than other people who were in town that weekend. Jesus asked, so is that why they suffered? Not at all. No, no, that's not it. That's not why they got murdered by Pilate. And you will perish too unless what? Unless you repent of your sins and turn to God. Is that complicated? Is that complicated? You read that and say, I don't understand what that means. 
I have no idea. Preacher, explain, to, explain that to me. Nobody needs to explain that to you. That is just simple, but you know what? Almost nobody will believe it. What? You're going to perish if you don't repent of your sins and turn to God. So I started tonight with ears to hear. Listen. I, I, maybe there's people sitting here tonight. You're, you're living, you, there's a sin in your life that you refuse to deal with. You refuse to deal with it. And you act like God doesn't know or he doesn't care. And Jesus tonight just says something. Unless you repent of your sin and turn to God, you're going to perish. Well, what about the forgiveness of Jesus? This is the forgiveness of Jesus. Do you think he doesn't know? Now, listen, I'm not taking that to an extreme. Some guy who will take it to an extreme will say, okay, so let's say you've, got, you've repented of your sin and you get in your car and you're driving and you've done something bad just in the last few minutes and you have a car wreck and you didn't have time to repent so you're lost. <sighs> That's the same guy who says that, 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 that he, he had a heart attack when he was going to be baptized, but he didn't get baptized. It wears me out. It does. It wears me out. Listen, God knows your heart. Your heart is about, repentance is a matter of the heart that I have grieved my Lord. I have grieved him. Sin grieves him. And when sin enters me, it grieves me to grieve him because I fear him and I love him more than anything in this world. I love him. And I cannot grieve the one I love so much. So repentance doesn't come at that point with reluctance, but repentance comes in my own brokenness. It's a byproduct of my own brokenness. Not like I've got to check some list of boxes. If that's how you look at repentance, you're still not getting it. You're still not getting it. Then he says, verse 4, he, and then he, he does it again. What about those 18 people who died when the Tower of Siloam fell on them? Were they the worst sinners in Jerusalem? No. I tell you again, twice, that unless you repent, you will perish. You're, you're going to perish. Now, let me tell you what. If people would take that, and, and it, just as it is written, and they had ears to hear, you'd repent. You'd repent. Yeah, you would. Number eight. Feast of Tabernacles, booths. There's a day coming when Jesus is going to tabernacle with us. The word tabernacle means, what, what was the tabernacle in the wilderness? What was the point of the tabernacle in the wilderness? God was going to move into their neighborhood. That's it. God gave Israel this feast so they would never forget their past. When they lived in temporary shelters in the wilderness. So they lived in temporary shelters after they were in the promised land. Today, we should never forget our past. Jesus died to give us a permanent body and a permanent home in heaven and then on the new earth. Now, I want to read to you a shadow. And in fact, I wonder how many of you would ever have ever thought of it in this way. Let me read it. The Lord your God will soon bring you into the land he swore to give you when he made a vow to your ancestor, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, I want all of us tonight, we're, we're going to wrap up soon. Here, here, we're going to get into this story. And God is looking at you and he's looking at me and saying, 
I'm going to do something for you. Here it comes. I want you to, this is you. You're in this story. I made a vow. I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to move you. It is a land with large prosperous cities that you did not build. So in front of me and you is a land with large prosperous cities that I did not build. I'm in this story. What is it? Now, in their case, he was going to move them into a, a land that had been previously possessed by Canaanites and Hittites and Perizzites and all these ites. And he says, I'm going to, you're going to move in to their houses and you're going to take over their crops and you're going to drink from their wells. And you didn't do any of it. I gave it to you. What's heaven? I've gone to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you. In my father's house are many rooms. They got many wells. They got nice houses. Listen, you're in the story. It's a land with large prosperous cities you did not build. The houses will be richly stocked with goods that you did not produce. You will draw water from cisterns you did not dig. You will eat from vineyards and olive trees you did not plant. Can you see a shadow? What do you think he's talking about? What do you think the promised land is for church today? For the church that's waiting for the trumpet when he comes and takes us into his presence. You didn't build any of that stuff in heaven. You're going to go and occupy what he made for you in advance. And when you have eaten your fill of the land, be careful not to forget the Lord who rescued you from slavery in the land of Egypt. You must fear the Lord and serve him. When you take an oath, you must use only his name. Now, here's the difference. When you get to heaven, your opportunity to rebel against him, I believe, in that situation is gone. You will be forever his. Why? Satan doesn't live there anymore. Number nine. The eighth day, rejoicing in the word. What happens after the seventh day? We mentioned that already. Eternity in the new earth. The day after the seventh day. Listen, I want you to get this. The day after the seventh day. If the seventh day is the thousand year reign of Jesus. So if there is a rapture of the church, you go to heaven Seven years on the earth finishes up the last day. Jesus comes back with us. We reign with him for a thousand years. That's the seventh day. What is the day after the seventh day? It's the eighth day. But wait a minute. I told you when we started tonight, the eighth day has no time. Before the first day, there was no time. And after the, eighth, after the seventh day, there is no time. Why? Time is finished. Oh, I got cold chills. Time is finished. Time, time is finished. Time is finished. Listen. And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. This is the eighth day. For the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared. Time has disappeared. And the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. And there's no more time? Yeah, and there's no more time. He will live with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them, and he will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone for how long? Forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I'm going to make everything new. And guess what's not in the new heaven and new earth? Time. 
You'll never run out of it. And then he said to me, write this down, for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. He also said, it is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the spring of the water of life. And all who are victorious will inherit all these blessings. And I will be their God and they will be my children. But the cowards, the unbelieving, the corrupt, the murderers, the immoral, those who practice witchcraft, idol worshipers, and all liars, their fate is in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. Sulfur, this is the second death. Number 10, Hanukkah. I'll try to go through this quickly. The essence of Hanukkah was the preservation of his presence. The preservation of the light of his presence. The preservation of the light of his presence. Do you see Jesus? Revelation 21. The twelve gates were made of pearl, each gate from a single pearl. And the main street was pure gold as clear as glass. I saw no temple in this new city. For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. And the city has no need of sun or moon. Why? For the glory of God illuminates the city and the Lamb is its light. What is the essence of the festival of Hanukkah? The oil which made the light of the temple, which marked the presence of God, was gone, but it was supernaturally restored and preserved. I just read to you God's supernatural promise of light without the sun, without the moon, without the stars. Supernaturally forever restored, and it never ever goes out. The nations will walk in its light. The kings of the world will enter the city in all their glory. Its gates will never be closed at the end of the day because there's no night there. Hanukkah is Jesus that does he is he the fulfillment of that shadow number 11 this is the one i didn't want to lose time on tonight this one is taking place today on the earth this one it is the preservation of the people of god and at the end of the preservation of the people of god he will turn the bottom to the top and the top to the bottom Jesus says this in Mark chapter 10. Peter began to speak up. We've given you, given up everything to follow you. So from the world's perspective, what's Peter saying? We've gone from up here to down here to get to you. We've given up everything. Everything that's physical in our life, we pretty much gave up to get to you, right? That's what he's saying. That's what he's saying. And Jesus replied, what? I assure you that everyone who has given up house or brother or sister or mother or father or children or property for my sake and for the good news will receive now in return a hundred times as many houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and property along with persecution. And in this world to come, that person will have eternal life. But many who are greatest now will be the least important then. And those who seem least important now will be the greatest then. Here's why I don't want to miss this one. The Jewish people right now. The Feast of Lots or Purim was about Haman and Mordecai and Esther. Haman represents exactly what's happening in the world today. 
where there's, there's this hatred of the Jewish people and they don't even know why they hate them. They just hate them. It's a demonic darkness that's falling upon the earth. And, and that demonic darkness, it came in the time of Pharaoh. He's throwing babies in the river, right? It came in the time of, of Haman. It came in, in, in he, he just wants to kill them all because he's mad at Mordecai. It came in the time of King Herod. What did King Herod do? He, he went to try to stop Jesus, just kill all the babies in Bethlehem, anybody under the age of two. It came in the time of Hitler to eradicate. The final solution is to kill all the Jews in the world that he can get his hands on. And here we are in 2023, and on October 27th, another darkness came across the world. And I believe this darkness is one that will lead us to an to, I believe it will eventually lead to an end. I believe, listen, I'll say it out loud. I believe it will eventually, how long it takes, I have no idea, lead to Ezekiel 38 and 39. To where all the nations will come and God himself will come and fight. Why do they hate the Jewish people so much? Will Jesus preserve the Jewish people? Yes. He has in every one of these stories. Will he in the end? Yes. I just read to you when the full number of Gentiles comes to Christ, he will turn his attention. So why is, if this is a spiritual battle, why? If Satan, and who can, who can com comprehend the mind of Satan? But if Satan could stop God from keeping his promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, then God would not be God. Satan would be God. And how could you stop God from keeping his promise to Abraham, Isaac, and J J Jacob? There's no Jews left. If all the Jews would be gone, then God couldn't keep his promise that through you all the nations will be blessed and they will be more numerous than the stars and the sand. And So could I wipe out all the Jews and stop you from being God? I, I don't think he can. But he thinks he can. Let's read one more scripture and we'll close. Hebrews 10.35. The message to the church tonight. Do not throw away this confident trust in the Lord. Remember the great reward it brings you. Patient endurance is what you need now, church. So that you'll continue to do God's will. And then you'll receive all that he has promised. For in just a little while. Somebody say hallelujah. hallelujah. The coming one will come and he will not delay. And my righteous ones will live by faith. I will take no pleasure in anyone who turns away. But we are not like those who turn away from God to their own destruction. That's not us. We are the faithful ones whose souls will be saved. Father, thank you for your word. I pray that you will save us. I pray that you will fight for Jerusalem. The battle belongs to you. It began in heaven. It will end in heaven. The battle belongs to you. We pray for peace in Jerusalem, understanding that peace will not come to Jerusalem until the Prince of Peace finally comes. Come, Lord Jesus, come. And amen. Thank you all. Oh, one more thing. One more thing. Next session starts, um, the next semester starts January 31st. And I have already started to work on it. I'll tell you what it is. It is... Um, 
Okay, heaven, hell, and three questions. It will be five sessions on heaven, the wonder and glory of heaven. It'll be one session on hell. I'm not going to give hell as much time as heaven. And it will be seven sessions answering three questions that these apostles asked Jesus before he went to the cross. Here's the three questions. It'll be seven sessions. When will these things happen? What will be the sign of your coming or your return? And what is the sign of the end of the world or the end of the age? He, all three of those questions were asked by his disciples to Jesus two days before he went to the cross. We're going, and it's basically the Olivet Discourse. That's what it is. So that, that's, it'll be heaven, hell, and three questions. January 31st, if we're still here. If we're not, they can do what they want with the book. <laughs> Thank y'all.